Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. I'm CJ, I'm your host. Um, you'll have to excuse if you can hear dogs barking out in the background. Um, our Kelpie has taken it upon herself to boss the goats in the goat paddock uh, from her paddock, which is a little bit away. So she barks lots. So I apologize. Uh, but uh, as I live in a tiny house, um, recording times for me are a little bit rare and a little bit shuffled. And so no matter what's going on outside, if it's time to record, uh, I'm recording. Anyway, welcome to this week, week's episode. Um, this is one of my favourite topics, so I get a little bit excited. Um, this is livestock preparation for spring. And when I say livestock preparation for spring, what I mean is we are getting ready for babies, livestock babies. And I love livestock babies. I mean, who doesn't love a baby goat? It, you would have to be nuts. But there are obviously chores and jobs and things that come with livestock preparation for the spring months. So before we jump into discussing all that, I just wanted to touch on a few things. Uh, one is don't forget if you um, haven't already got your free guide to keeping backyard chickens, uh, because obviously I teach a backyard chicken keeping course. And one of the things that I give to people in preparation for deciding whether backyard chickens are right for them is a free guide. And it covers the seven must-knows uh, to keeping backyard chickens. So seven things that you really need to consider before you get backyard chickens in an urban or semi-urban, semi-rural environment. Uh, and you can get that at www.mojohomestead. I'll put it up on the screen now. Um, uh, .net backslash seven must knows and you can download that free guide and have a look and if you've got any questions hit me up and let me know um i'd love to answer anything that you might you know if there's something that i haven't covered in there let me know because i can always rehash it um but if there's something in there that you'd like to know more information about just send me either a personal message if you don't want to do it publicly or you can just hit me up on one of the socials and i'll be happy to answer now, obviously, I do have my upcoming uh, Backyard Chicken Keeping course, which the next one is running in August. It runs for six weeks. And this one will be starting 21st of August, uh, I'm going to say. Uh, but registration's open from the 14th of August, uh, if you're interested in doing that. It's not an expensive course. Um, there is a, a fee attached. Um, unfortunately, I've got to earn money somehow. Um, but it is a comprehensive course to take you from beginner backyard chicken keeping, so never had them or only just got them and not sure, through to somebody who's very confident and very capable of managing your own small flock in the backyard. Uh, the other thing I wanted to let you know, during registration week, I do a lot of lives and do a lot of um, freebies out there just to get people interested in backyard chicken keeping. I'm very passionate about it in case you haven't worked that out. Um, so up on the screen now is um, a free webinar that I'm running during that week and it's on the 17th of August which is Thursday at 5pm 
Uh, I apologise if the time zone does not suit. Unfortunately for me, I work full time. I have two children. I have a partner. I'm managing all kinds of things. And that is the only time that I can do it that week. So that's when it is, 5 p.m. Now, if you can't make that time, don't stress too much. Go on and register anyway. Um, so it's www.mojohomestead.net uh, backslash chicken breeds. Um, and we will be discussing all the things you need to know about which chicken breed is best for your personal circumstances and your backyard. Now, if you can't be there live, if you've registered, you will be sent a recording of the webinar. So if it doesn't suit time-wise, don't stress, just go and register anyway and you'll still get a copy. Anyway, so back to this week's episode. Uh, for those that are listening, you can go and see the video recording now at YouTube at Mojo Homestead um, or you can just keep listening on the podcast, which we love to have. I had a look the other day to see where all my listeners are from and I'm so amazed that I've got so many listeners from all around the world. So hi to everybody who's not in Australia. Um, I hope you can understand my accent because uh, I've been told that I have got a bit of an Ocker accent. Um, so hopefully it's not too too bad um, and you understand most of what I'm saying. If you're ever not sure about something that I've said, like if I use Australian slang and you kind of go, shit, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> oh, and I'm a potty mouth. Um, if, if you ever think, what the fuck is she talking about? Just send me a DM and I'll explain it to you because I do sometimes drop into my Aussie slang and it confuses people. So livestock preparation, my favourite time of year. Um, the first thing I wanted to discuss was planning the breeding and mating schedules. Now, this is important depending on where you live. Just let me have a little slurp of coffee. I'm still getting over my flu, so I'm still a bit coffee. Um, not coffee as in the drink, coffee as in coughing. So planning, breeding and mating schedules. Something that you really need to consider is your environment. So if you're in an area where it snows, um, for my American friends, there's not a lot of areas in Australia where it does snow. Uh, but if you're in an area where it snows, then obviously you need to consider the fact that it's not always ideal to have babies born in the snow. Um, it, it does make it harder. If there's any problems, then you're going to have to supply heating, which can cost, or if, you do, if you're like us on solar, during our winter months, we have to be very, very conservative with our electricity usage. So you need to consider the times of year that you're breeding. That being said, I'm not a sheep farmer and I'm surrounded by sheep farmers. And it's currently July here in Australia and pretty cold and all the sheep have just dropped. They've all just had their babies. So sheep breeding is a little bit different in that um, they, they have a system where they are bred and it seems like every lamb is born in the middle of the coldest, yuckiest, rainiest, sleetiest night, uh, but they survive quite well. Uh, they do have grazier warnings out. If you're on a weather app, you should keep an eye on that because they will put out grazier in Australia. They put out grazier's warnings to let people know that there's a bad weather front coming through and if they've got livestock out in an area where they don't have shelter, that it might be a good opportunity to move them into an area they do have shelter. But if you're like me and want to make it as simple as possible, um, the way that I do it is I schedule the breeding season so that I have kids dropping in a season that suits me. Now, I have Anglo-Nubian milking goats and I have Angora 
uh, fiber goats. Now, my fiber goats are much more hardy. They can handle the weather a lot better. They do not sleep inside shelters. They are out in the paddock full time. Um, we do, we've only bred one year of the Angoras, so we did bring the Angora mother in, and it was a bit of a surprise. If you go and have a look through my YouTube clips, you'll see, uh, um, through my TikTok clips, you'll see that there was a surprise birth in the middle of the paddock. Um, I knew she'd gone under the buck. I just didn't realise she was actually pregnant because she didn't uh, bag up in her udder. Um, anyway, it was all good. Princess Charlotte, who is the baby born from that one, is doing fine. She is the fattest goat in the paddock, so she coped just fine with me not knowing. Um, goats are hardy like that. They can drop babies and they really don't need assistance. Anyway, so I keep my angoras um, separated from the rest of the angora herd when they are due to kid normally, and that's what we'll be doing this year. We have about five that are going to kid this year uh, because we managed to get all of them under the buck this year. So we will keep them in pens within their Angora paddock. So they're still exposed to the weathers and the other um, does that are in that paddock, but we will keep them separate just so we can make sure that, A, there's no medical issues with them, that they're upright, moving, walking, doing all the things they're supposed to do after they've been born, make sure that mum has expelled all of her afterbirth and make sure that the babies are feeding okay. So I want to time that at a time that is going to suit me, not at a time that is necessarily going to suit them. Some would argue that's fighting nature. It's not. It's making life easier for everyone. So my Angoras are due to kid at the end of August. Uh, the last week of August will be when they start. And that's an awesome time for me. The weather is starting to change. It's not as bad weather-wise. But to do that, you need to know what their gestation period is. So for goats, it's about 150 days. And so 150 days before I wanted them to kid <laughs> is when I started planning and started having the buck, exposing the buck to the angoras so that the angora um, does would come into season and want to breed with the buck. And let me tell you, there's no forcing goats to breed with a buck they are dragging you and again you can see some videos on tiktok where hazel my, one of my milkers literally dragged me to the buck in order to go spend some time some special rocky time with the buck so you have to time it 150 days before you want them so the angoras are coming at the end of august and uh my milking goats because once my milking goats are born then my my schedule changes quite dramatically and I am up at four o'clock every morning milking goats and making sure kids are all sorted before I get ready to go to work and get my kids to school. So the, the Angoras are end of August, the um, milking goats are mid-September. Now, if you live in a warm area, um, our buck came to us courtesy of Dadadu Anglo-Nubians, which are in Rockhampton in Queensland. Hi, Dadadu Anglo-Nubians. Love, love your work. We have the most amazing buck courtesy of them. He has the personality of, uh, he's a dream personality buck. He is not aggressive. He is a lovely, beautiful natured buck. And he has perfect confirmation, obviously. Um, so they breed much earlier uh, because they're in Rockhampton. It's beautiful weather. There's no harm in getting up at, at 4 o'clock in the morning in July to milk because it's not frosty. It's not freezing. Um, so if you live in a warm area, you may consider changing your breeding pattern. And look around the area that you live in. If you see that people who are 
consistent constant breeders are breeding at set times and having their their kids or their lambs or their calves delivered at that time then that's a good indicator to you that these people who've probably been around a bit longer than you know what they're doing as far as the timeline goes but for us here in southern new south wales where it's freezing i don't want to get up and milk in july <laughs> i want to get up and milk in the middle of september when it's starting to warm up and the daylight hours are getting a bit longer and it's a bit nicer so the other thing for us is chickens because we buy hatched chickens from a hatchery. Um, I have gone down the process of, of hatching my own chickens. It's complicated. I find it um, easier, cheaper, less time consuming, less fuck ups to buy from a hatchery. That being said, the birds that we bought last year from the hatchery were sexed birds and we ended up with over 15 roosters. Not exactly ideal, but they ended up filling the freezer. So not a big deal. Um, but this year I might be looking at a different hatchery to get sexed birds just to see if I can improve that ratio. Um, if I'm paying for sexed birds, I kind of want them all to be hens. Um, anyway, so when I'm planning things for my hatchery system, I have a, a hatchery, a brooder house that we use where we have a heat pad. We have two heat pads. We have feeders that are water troughs and feed troughs that are suitable for the chicks to use without them putting muck or shit or dirt in them. And uh, we can keep them clean and keep them topped up. So they've always got access to heat, food and water. Now, um, planning that is a bit different because we have to plan for when we want the hatched birds to arrive so that we have enough daylight sun hours so the solar panels are able to heat the brooder house and heat the, keep the lights on because we have lot, artificial lights in there uh, because it's very well protected. We don't want predators getting in. Um, so we have artificial lights in there that we have to help grow our chickens. Um, now we use the brooder house for meat birds and for egg laying birds so we have to plan it so that we haven't got um, all day olds in in one hit because our meat birds grow much quicker. So what we usually do is start our egg birds and we get them to a point where they're almost ready to go out and then we bring in our meat birds because they grow super super quick. So dates, calendars, if you're a planner, if you like journaling, crack it all out and write your dates down and work out when you need them. Now, for chickens, um, the laying birds we keep in under the brooder until about the six to eight week mark, depending on the weather outside. So we want no frosts before we send them out into the paddock. For our meat birds, we literally only coped to about four weeks for them and then we had to move them outside. They were so big that we had to get them on grass it made sense to get them on grass because we bought them after the layer birds the weather was much nicer anyway so i think last year we did it we did our first lot in november and they were scheduled to be dispatched around christmas time so the weather was fine they went out in in the weather i think around the three to four week mark and they were absolutely fine but the layers we had to wait till about six weeks they don't have as much fat on them they can't handle the cold quite as well but you want them fully feathered essentially you need the birds to be fully feathered before they're exposed to the outside cold and off brooder heat so that was quite detailed this is probably going to go over time just going to let you all know now so the other thing to consider is um, whether or not you have access to a male animal so for us, we have a buck here, so our goat breeding program is no problem at all. Um, our um, cows, we will be using um, a bull from our next-door neighbour. 
luckily our cows are not ready yet. Um, we bought potty calves because I wanted a, a hand-raised milking cow. Um, so Millicent, Millie, um, who is our milker, um, she is not due to go. She won't go to the bull for another year till next year. So and same with Molly, our little Angus, who's going to be one of our main breeders. Um, so we don't have to worry about them. They are just growing up a treat in the paddock. We don't have to schedule anything for them yet. But they have an 11-month, 11-9-month, 9-month gestation period, 9 months. And so I need to plan that so that the cows will go to the bull 9 months before I want to start milking Millie. So you have to plan sometimes a few years in advance. Consider all that when you're doing your planning. So the next one, I spent far too long on that, so I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, assessing and replenishing livestock feed and supplies. Now, we are constantly buying feed. We buy it fresh in. Um, we don't have a big hopper. We, that's one of the things on our to-do list is a big feed hopper, um, particularly for our chicken feed because that's the thing that we go through the most. And then we can buy it in bulk, which will be a bit cheaper. But at the moment, we're still buying bags from the feed store. And we do that for the goat feed as well. Now, I do tend to build up a little bit of extra feed coming into our spring birthing period. And that's because mummies need a little bit of extra help. Um, I make up a lovely little glucose mix of molasses that I feed to any of our does after they've kitted. I find that it just gives them that little bit of like sugar and energy hit and helps them. Um, my mum and dad used to feed it to our dogs when we were whelping uh, pups. They would feed this molasses mixture to the to the bitches. <coughs> excuse me, while they were in pup, while they were actually in labour, and it would it, it appeared to help them, you know, give them that little energy boost. I guess anybody who's had a baby, I've had two, um, knows that going through that process, you kind of you know, when you're in labour, sometimes you don't want to eat, but you, you get a little bit of a, a glucose hit and it gives you enough to keep going. Uh, so I guess it's the same for animals. Anyway, so um, I stock up and make sure that I've got enough molasses treats for them. I make sure that they've got their um, their salt licks, um, so a mineral salt lick in the paddock because the mums tend to get very mineral heavy when they're in their last stages of, of pregnancy. Um, the babies do drain a lot out of them. So you do have to make sure that they're eating enough food. Now, if you're on really good pasture, you may just need to top up hay for them um, because you don't, you actually don't want them getting obese, but you do want to make sure they're carrying enough weight. Um, so I stock up on feed supplies so that during that heavy birthing, kidding period, I'm not having to duck to the produce store to get things. I want to make sure I've got enough supplies on hand. And the same goes for bedding. Now, some people let their kids, let their goats birth naturally in the paddock and without any dramas, and that's great. I mean, our Angora literally birthed in the paddock because we didn't know, and I was actually walking down to video her for something else and saw her on a side and went, ah, oh, shit, what's going on? Is she caught? I thought she was tangled in fencing. I'm thinking, there's no fencing there. How's she got tangled in that? Anyway, I got down there and she was in full-blown labour and I think she was holding off until I got there because literally the second I got there, out came Princess Charlotte. So um, uh, that would, they can do it. They can absolutely do it on their own. But we do like being part of our goat's birthing process and particularly with my milkers because 
Uh, if they're does, I'm going to use them for milking. I'm going to keep them and use them for milking. So I want them to be hand reared as much as possible. Um, I don't I don't remove my goats, my kids from their mothers. They stay on their mums. Um, I'm not a commercial dairy, so I don't have to do that. I'm not. It's not a balancing act of how much milk I'm getting. Um, we're only using it for personal use. So that means for me, I can. It's much easier. I keep the kids with their mother. But we still want to make sure everything's okay. And and there's always, you know, there's that disclaimer that don't work with kids and animals. With animals, there is always a chance that something is going to go wrong. And you need to take that into account. Uh, if you're not prepared to help an animal out um, in, in that labouring process, don't bring them in. Let them go and do it on their own in the paddock. If nature dictates that they're going to have a birth that works and they're going to have a kid no problems fantastic if nature dictates they're not then you need to be prepared for that and I'm not saying that to scare people or put them off um, I have had to put my hand into a goat's vagina and uh, push feet back from a twin to get the first twin out before the second twin was pushing through now if you're not prepared to do that, then you probably need to find somebody who is to come and help you during the kidding period or you need to learn. Um, you don't always have to do it. I've Willow, our one of our long-term milkers who's five years old, uh, birthed triplet boys in the paddock on her own last year because I didn't think she was ready for another day or two. Um, that's a whole other story on the dough code, which I'll uh, I'll put a post up about the dough code. Look for it. Um so Willow just dropped three triplets in the paddock, no problems at all, three, and one of them was a really big boy. So the fact that she managed to get him out without any assistance from me just goes to show that goats can absolutely do it on their own. But it helps to be there just in case. Um, it's also exciting, certainly for my two kids and even for my two stepkids. They have all enjoyed immensely the process of watching a kid being born. My son gets right in there, covered in after birth. He's got gunk everywhere. He doesn't care. He's He loves that kind of shit. So it, it's a great experience for kids to actually see that life cycle. Um, so we have bedding that we put down now. Sawdust, I found sawdust is actually really good, but we do put straw down because it's cheap and, and we can easily compost it afterwards. Um, sawdust can be composted too, so it's not a drama. I find that sawdust um, tends to cling a bit with the afterbirth situation, uh, but sawdust is probably better after the babies have been born and dried. Straw is a little bit better during that birthing process, I find, because it sucks up some of that moisture out of the, the afterbirth. I'm going to have a series of episodes where I say moisture, aren't I? Um, anyway, so straw is better for when they're birthing. Sawdust is better for when they're done. Um, and it makes it easier to clean the poop out, keep the pens clean. Um, I have started doing the Joel Salatin method of just putting extra bedding down rather than cleaning it out. Um, I find that it soaks up all the moisture, again, moisture. Uh, it soaks up all the moisture, but it also, it saves me having to constantly clean out bedding pens because they're only really in there for a couple of weeks. Uh, we try to get ours out onto the paddock. So you do need to, and I'll discuss fencing further down, you do need to make sure you've got secure areas, but make sure you've got bedding pens set up and you've got uh, suitable bedding materials. Also water troughs. <laughs> please make sure you have a water trough that a kid can't get into 
or that a chick can't get into or that a lamb can't get into or that a, a calf isn't going to go and stand in. So think about your watering supplies. If you can get a little water trough that sits on the side of the fence and is only filled up as they drink out of it, that would be ideal. Same with drip feeders for chicks. You don't want them standing in their water. It's not good for the babies. So, <coughs> excuse me, the other thing that you need to think about is um, medical supplies. Prior to kitting, I always stop up, stock up. I have um, a kitting kit, which is just a bucket with a lid on it, and it has iodine for um, umbilical cords. It has gloves in it. It has sanitizer in it, hand sanitizer. It has my purple spray in it. Um, it has uh, puppy pee pads I found are awesome because they soak up so much of the moisture. Um, puppy pee pads, if you put them down when a goat is kidding, um, it will soak up a lot of that um, afterbirth. And it also, because they're plastic backed, it makes it easier to pick up the afterbirth. Now, I always go and check the afterbirth afterwards. Um, just to make sure that most of it has come out and that it looks intact and it looks like there's no issues with it. Uh, but if you leave it there, like if your goat is in the paddock, don't be surprised that she eats it. She will eat it because it stops predators coming in. So don't, don't freak out if that happens. Same with cows, same with horses, all of them do it. Anyway, but if you are in a kidding pen, the best thing you can do is remove the afterbirth out because it's just more mess for the mum to have to deal with and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so make sure you've got all your medication set up. If you are calving, um, it is uh, probably a good idea to have calf pullers. Now, I've only ever seen them used once. I helped Dad do it once. Every other cow that we've ever had has birthed their calf without any dramas but it's handy to have something there if you need to pull a calf. And if you don't know what I mean by pull a calf, YouTube that shit, you'll say it's pretty full on. But it has to happen. Uh, the Iowa dairy farmer, uh, I follow him online. He is awesome. He puts videos on that are very realistic videos of what happens on a farm. So go and have a look at his videos. Okay, so moving right along, we've got all feed, medications, bedding, uh, We've got all that ready, planned, everything. So now uh, animal shelters. Make sure that you have shelters that you need. Now, when I say this, I mean if you have three goats kidding, you probably want three separate pens. And the reason for that is mummy goats aren't nice to other goats, <laughs> other kids. Hazel, who is one of our best milkers, and uh, she had a break last year. She had a, a year off breeding, but she has produced multiple kids every year that we've had her for, for four years. She's done it. Um, she is the twin to Willow, so she's five years old. Uh, she uh, will attack. There's no other way of saying it. She will headbutt and continually headbutt any baby that's not hers. So you really want to keep them in separate yards just till the kids are at a point where they're strong enough, they're feeding well, they're up, they can run. That's the main thing, they can run. Uh, because out in the paddock, we don't separate them. They go into a paddock together and the, the goats learn. They learn that Aunty Hazel's a cranky old shit and don't go near her. If you're not her baby, even if you are her baby, she'll have but her own babies. Um, but it's important when in that first two weeks to just keep them a little bit segregated and just make sure that that baby's nice and strong and healthy and feeding well before you put it in with others. So having different pens for each kidding goat is helpful and we're going to have different pens for each of our angoras this year too which is a little bit a little bit tricky but we'll do it 
Handy helper loves it when I say that because it means he has to do something. <coughs> Excuse me. So we are going to have different little pens. We're also going to have some shelters where because because of my milking routine that I have, um, of a night time, the baby goats come in away from the mums out of the paddock. They live overnight in a cell, a safe, dry um, house uh, together. So we put all the kids in together for that purpose. And then in the morning after I've milked mum, then the baby goats go back to mum. They have a feed and they go out into the paddock during the day with mum. Now, that, as I said, that's because I'm not a commercial dairy. If I was a commercial dairy, that would be very different. But that's our system. With our angoras, we're intending on keeping them in for maybe two weeks. Once they get past that two-week period, um, then we're going to uh, section them off so that it's just the mums and kids into a paddock. So we'll keep the weathers away and we also have to keep the buck away. Now, the reason we keep the buck away is not because he's aggressive and would hurt the babies, but he'll have to go into a separate paddock uh, because baby girl goats can be bred very, very early. And we, despite the fact that nature's telling us they're in season, they're ready to breed, we prefer to wait until they're around that nine-month mark before we're putting the buck over them. So generally a year after they've been bred, or, yeah, it's nine months, after they've been bred, we're putting the buck over them then. So I don't want the buck running with them because the buck... He doesn't pay any attention to what I say. If that goat's on season, he's going over that goat. So he goes into a separate paddock with his paddock buddy. He's got a paddock buddy because they're very social animals. So we need to make sure that those areas that you're setting up for the babies and with cows, you probably don't need to worry so much. You might get them in just for the couple of days. Oh, I wouldn't even say a day. Honestly, I would let a cow birth out in the paddock. My milking cow, I will probably bring into a yard where she can birth so that I can keep an eye on her and make sure the baby's feeding okay. Um, but uh, once that calf's feeding okay, there's no reason to keep them in a sheltered area. Um, I will bring the calf in of a night. I'll do the same milking system that I do with the goats where the calf comes in of a night, I milk in the morning, and then the calf is on the mum all day. So getting really good substantial amount of milk still from mum. But dry area, it needs to be... Um, weatherproof in the sense that they don't get rained on because if mum is not in there with them mum can't keep them warm so it needs to be uh rainproof windproof is ideal although you do need some circulation and some airflow going through there you want it so that they can get out of the sun as well when they're babies now they love lapping up the vitamin d don't get me wrong but if they're only little, especially where we are with our 40-degree temperatures, it can get a bit hot through summer. So they need some good quality shade. And that can just be a couple of posts with shade cloth over the top of it, so long as they can get out of that direct sun. Um, obviously, they're feeding in water troughs. Like I said, they need to be secure so that the babies can't get into them. Now, the next one is the big expense of all of this, and that's veterinary checkups and and um vaccinations and things like that we are very lucky we have an awesome um, livestock vet nearby us he knows that I am more than capable of giving injections and drenches and things like that so he will I go in and see him I explain to him how many kids I've had um, you know what the the jabs that I need to give I don't even know what half of them are he tells me this is what you need for your goats this is what you need for your cows 
and I take the injection and I go and give the injections to the to the baby goats. Um, for worming and drenching purposes, it's always a tricky matter for us here. We live in a barber's pole worm area and, oh, God, we lost two goats to barber's pole worm. It's a nasty, nasty worm and if you've got it, you need to manage it. Get advice from your vet. That's all I can suggest. I am not a vet. I am not a vet nurse, but I know that it's a bitch of a fucking parasite. It really is. And if you live in a sheep area, an area where there's a lot of sheep, uh, chances are there is barber's pole worm. It's a bitch to manage, but we have been given drenches from our vet to manage those after we had the death of the two goats. Since then, we have managed our paddock rotation much better and uh, we haven't had any worm issues. But I alternate between different worming pastes so that we're not um, building up any kind of resistance with those worms. And obviously the injections, I go to the vet and speak to him about what injections I need. But the injections are things to stop the longer-term parasite, internal parasites. Uh, you also have to consider whether or not you'll need to do an external parasite drench. Um, for us, for our angoras, they cop lice a lot more than our milking goats. But either way, lice can be a real killer, it, especially for a young baby. It, it You need to get on top of it. If there's a lice issue, get on top of it before the baby's born. So for our angoras, we will have them shorn because they're all in full wool coat now. We will have them shorn probably about two weeks before any of them are due, so in the next two weeks. Um, and when we do that, we check them for external parasites then. And if they need it, they get the dredge then. Uh, that's two weeks before the babies are born. So hopefully then all the lice issue is taken care of before the baby arrives, which means the baby gets a good start without a lice, a heavy lice infestation on mum. Um, so we do that. Yeah, that'll be in the next month we're doing that, the shearing and the delousing. Um, for our milking goats, they get deloused as well. Cows need to be deloused as well. Um, uh, our chickens, because they're pasture chickens, we since we moved away from a coop model to a pasture model, uh, we haven't had any problems with lice. And I think it's because we're constantly rotating them around the paddock. The parasite load just, it just goes. It's the best thing ever. So if you can't do that, though, check your birds for lice. You will see them on there. Handy helper will tell you that you can feel them on you. He gets particularly hit by them when we had the, the old coop model. Um, he would go in to do stuff with the chickens and he'd come out and say, I'm crawling, I can feel them all over my arms, you know. And um, and so he'd have to jump straight in and have a shower and try and delouse himself because bird parasites will bite humans and crawl over humans. So um, if you're in a coop area, make sure you're checking them constantly for that and make sure you stay on top of the parasite load. You don't want to introduce baby chicks to a coop that has a parasite load in it. You want to take care of the parasite load before that happens. Um, the other thing to consider with your vet uh, stuff is whether or not you need the vet on call for any of your birthing. Now, we've never used the vet for any birthing. We've had um, one stillborn and I can't explain that. I don't know what happened there, um, but that was actually the goat that we lost. It was She was a beautiful little milker. Um, we lost her to the barber's pole worm. So I don't know whether she'd already started to have the heavy infestation, but she didn't die for four months after the stillbirth. So I don't know whether the barber's pole worm was affecting the um, kid that she was having. 
but yeah, he was still born. Um, I tried. He, I felt like he had some life in him, so I tried to bring him back. I tried a bit of uh, resuscitation on him. It didn't work, um, which can be devastating, and you need to be prepared for that if you have livestock. Absolutely, know in your heart what you're going to do and how you're going to manage it. Um, it it hurts. It, I'm I'm not a crier. I'm the tough one on the farm. I'm the one that goes all. Oh, an animal died. That's sad. Now we move on. Um, it still hurts. It's there's no nice way of saying that. When you lose a baby animal, it's never pleasant. And we've lost a couple. Um, we've lost a couple of adults too. But we are getting better at it. We are getting better as animal custodians, and things that happened in the past won't happen again because we now know better than what we did before. Uh, but if you think there's going to be a problem and you're not sure if you can handle it, if you don't think you can stick your hand in a goat's vagina, which, believe me, no fun, glove up, make sure you've got no fingernails, take your rings off, that's all I can say, um, uh, then make sure you have a vet on call and be prepared to have to pay because a call out at 3 o'clock in the morning, obviously, is going to be a lot more expensive than a call out at midday or an appointment where you take an animal in to see him uh, or her. Anyway, so... Be prepared for emergencies. You don't know what's going to happen. And just a side note, the DOE code, and I will put a post up if people like, uh, the DOE code basically, there's a lot of points to it, but what it basically states is at the least convenient time for you is when your DOE will go into labour. So if you've just dressed up to go to a wedding and you've done your hair and makeup and you're wearing a beautiful dress that is non-farmy and you would definitely not be out digging around in the dirt in it, that's when your doll will go into labour. Uh, she will want to put afterbirth over any nice clothes you have. Uh, if you're packing the car to go away for overnight, just say you've got a, a planned, you know, party somewhere, somebody's having a 21st or a, or a 50th, and you're like, oh, we're going to go away and camp on their property overnight and, and pack the car up. As soon as the doe sees you doing that, into labour. She'll start pouring at the ground, headbutting walls, bleating, touching her belly. Yeah, she won't have the baby. She'll just go into labour for a couple of hours until you've put off and delayed your trip to the point where you can't go. And then she'll suddenly be fine and not deliver for another week. It's the doe code. It's just the way it is. So. Next one is fencing and pasture areas. Really important that if you've got baby animals in a, in a paddock that you have great fencing. Um, you don't want your animals getting out. You don't ever want your animals getting out. But with babies, you definitely don't want them getting out. Walk the fence. Ensure that everything is tight enough, close enough to the ground. The, the gaps are small enough. So if you're using um, for goat and lamb fencing, it's really important that the fencing is suitable. <laughs> most babies won't wander too far from mum, but you don't want them to be able to get out if they can. Um, make sure that fence posts are upright, make sure that gates are closing properly, that kind of thing. Uh, if you are using electric fencing, which I highly recommend, having had goats in electric fencing, oh, my God, stops them dead in their tracks. They only have to hit it once or twice and they they remember forever and they'll never go back to that fence again in fact even when we put our electric fencing in the paddock now um and it's not switched on our baby goats that are now nearly a year old won't go near the fence 
because they take one look at the fence and go, oh, that's the zappy zappy fence. We don't want to go near that. So electric fencing is a great deterrent and it teaches them very quickly. Um, make sure that you've got suitable pasture for uh, baby goats to be in. So we have lost our goats, like I say, to Barbara's poll worm, but we also thought there might have been an issue at some time there with um, uh, death cat mushrooms. And uh, because one our adult one that died that we thought was Bub's pole worm also had some liver and kidney issues at the time, which can be caused by worm overload. But the vet did say afterwards it was almost like something toxic had gone into a system. Goats will eat just about anything, including things they shouldn't eat. And so um, death cat mushrooms um, can have the same effect on animals that they have on humans, which is um, liver failure. Um, and I know that from a doctor friend of mine who I asked about it and she said absolutely a kid, a, a, like a human kid, uh, if they consumed death cat mushrooms, they would have um, liver problems that are very similar to hepatitis where the liver just doesn't function. Um, so I don't know how much truth in that, but that's that's my gloss from my doctor friend. So make sure that there's not toxic weeds or plants growing in the paddock because baby goats just don't think they'll just go up and we call them thistle lickers they'll go up and lick everything even if it's a thistle and then they walk around with their tongue out going oh, i got something stuck in my tongue um next one is a big one which is identifying predators for babies and this applies for your chickens your new chicks out in the paddock um our baby goats baby cows um anything, anything that's young and maybe not able to defend itself. Now, we have the most awesome system in the world because we have Luna the Merrimah and Luna is so true to her breed. Um, Luna protects our chickens. She protects our goats. She has killed a fox. Good for you, Lulu. You, you did well. Uh, that came into the yard. Um with Luna in our yard, with our goats and our chickens, and our goats and chickens rotate through the same paddock area, um, with her in the yard, we've had no losses. We've had no um, foxes come in. Now, we know that our neighbours have had to bait for foxes um, because foxes are a very big pest in the area that we live in. They will take baby lambs at the drop of a hat. So neighbours have had to bait. We've never had to bait. We, have, we, we can see the foxes. We can hear the foxes up the hill and over the paddock. Uh, but they never come near the chickens or the goats. And that's because we have Luna, the Merrimah, doing her awesome job of protecting everybody. But if you don't have a Merrimah, if you don't have a livestock guardian dog, um, you need to make sure that your animals are locked away overnight because that's when the foxes are out. Although they will come out during the day. So don't think that won't happen. Um, as I said, the afterbirth smell will attract predators. So depending on where you live, and you guys over in the States have way more predator issues than we do. I couldn't imagine dealing with bears and bobcats and coyotes and, God, you know, even, even raccoons and things like that that just get into everything. I couldn't imagine dealing with it all. We have foxes. Uh, we have snakes will come into the chicken yard. So you need to think about um, fencing that's tight enough to prevent a snake getting through. Um, uh, but like I say... We with the Merrimah, we haven't had any predators. We don't even have snakes coming with the Merrimah there. Um, but fencing needs to be good. You need to remove afterbirth and not have those kind of smells that would attract predators. You need to be able to, if you can't use a livestock guardian dog or something similar, have an area that the animals can be locked away overnight because that's when they're most likely to get at by a predator. 
Um, what else have we got? Oh, don't forget wedge-tailed eagles in Australia and I'm assuming eagles in America as well will take um, uh, small mammals uh, like goats, sheep, things like that. Um, here in Australia, uh, wedge-tailed eagles are protected. They're the most gorgeous animal. I've had the joy of holding one. Thank you very much, Australia Zoo. Um, they are a protected species. We do not deter them. We do not do anything to them. I don't consider them to be a predator. What I have seen other farmers do, which works very well, is they will shoot rabbits and leave a rabbit out in the paddocks away from their lambs to encourage the eagle to come and take the rabbit mate. <coughs> the reason they do that is if the eagles are well fed, they're not going to go after the lambs. <coughs> Sorry, I'm going to cough again. Nearly done. All right, so make sure that you've got pest and predator management controlled during that birthing period because that's when it's more, most likely that it's going to happen. They're most vulnerable when they're little like that. So the last thing is at the end of your birthing season, so at the end for us, I think our last one is due, we think Willow's miscarried, so now our last one is due... 14th of September, I think, is Lucy, who is a maiden um, maiden doe. It'll be her first birth. Uh, she's due on the 14th of September. That's our last birthing for this year for the goats. Once that's done, what I do is I sit down and I reevaluate everything. And it's really important to review what's happened. So review what went well, what worked, what didn't work. Um, if something didn't work, plan for it next time. And that's what I mean. When we had the stillbirth, I planned for it next time. So we moved the kidding pens closer to the house so that I could hear them so that there wasn't any delay with me getting to them. Um, it still doesn't always go to plan. Like I said, Willow dropped her three last year out in the paddock because I just miscalculated a date by a day. And I looked at her and thought, she's. I thought the doe code had kicked in. I thought she was pretending she was going to go kidding. And, um, and so I didn't bring her into the pen and she ended up having them out in the paddock. Luckily, she screamed loud enough that the handy helper and I uh, at four o'clock in the morning had got up to milk the other goat who had already kidded and heard her screaming and ran up into the paddock and went, oh, shit, fuck, there's three baby goats in the paddock that we weren't planning on. Uh, so we just picked them all up and moved them down to the, the kidding pen. Um, but um, have everything, go through everything, work out, did I have all my medical supplies? Did, um, was there something I hadn't planned for? Um, did, did I count on the fact that all these babies were going to be born at the same time and I needed separate pens? Work it all out, sit down, have a rehash. Don't beat yourself up if something's gone wrong. That's the most important thing. No livestock manager wants animals to die, but it happens. The important bit is not to beat yourself up about it but to learn from it and improve the system for next year so that next year that kind of issue doesn't happen. And and that might seem harsh. Some people might go, oh, no, I couldn't. The idea of losing stock, I would it would kill me. If that's the case, don't go into farming. It's not worth it. <laughs> you will lose stock and you need to learn to cope with that. Um, but the best thing you can do is prepare yourself so it doesn't happen again. Um, and that's all I can say on that one. 
also work out all your dates once the kids have all been born sit down and work out okay uh that that goat was the buck went over her on this date she kidded this many days afterwards so next year i need to take into account that she's 155 day not 150 day or she's 145 day um and also to make note of of their kidding signals um so or carving or lambing signals so if they have a particular thing they do. I know with um, Willow, Willow wants me in the paddock with her. She gets very clingy. Hazel, on the other hand, will walk off, stand with her head up against a wall, pour at the ground, and she doesn't want to borrow me. And even when I go over to her, I have to keep my distance because she, until she's actually kidding, she doesn't want me touching her. Uh, once she starts kidding, then it's game on. She's like, Mom, help me out here. <laughs> Get this kid out of me. Uh, but while she's in that labour process, like women, each goat's different, each cow is different, each lamb is different. Now, I know with the lambing system around here, most people don't even bother to, like, they just let them lamb in the paddock. There's no issue with that. Um, work it out for your area, for your animal, for your livestock. Review, work out what you can do better, work out what you need to do different next year as far as the lead up, and have fun with it. And post all your photos and link me in if you've got photos of babies that you've just had um, over the next couple of months for you, those in Australia. Um, post photos. I love seeing baby animals. I, they're my favourite. Um, yeah. Anyway, that is it for this week. I hope as your birthing season approaches, if you're in Australia, you have an awesome birthing season with no losses and lots of fun and lots of beautiful babies that are healthy and happy. Um, and uh, if you're in America, you're probably in the tail end of your, you've already had all your animals and they're growing up a treat. Post those photos too and show me what you had. I'd love to see them. Anyway, everybody, that is it for this week. Uh, next week, we are discussing bees, my other favourite, uh, my bee preparation for summer and spring um, because there is a bit of work that goes in. Uh, we tend to have a very cruisy winter with our bees and then come spring and summer, it's game on and we've got a lot to do. So we'll be discussing that next week and I look forward to talking to you then. Bye now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.